Now, I'm sure you're wondering why in the world all three of us are sitting up here if you've not been here before or if today's your first Sunday or if you can't remember what we talked about last week because if we're really honest as pastors, no matter what we tell you last week to remember what we're doing the next week, you go out on Sunday and start on Monday and you're in your world and a lot of things run through your mind. I'm also sure that there are a number of you thinking, this got to be one of those jokes, right? How many pastors does it take to? And then you want to answer that question. Normally when pastors share a sermon, they sense what they've heard from God that they want to share with you, telling you what they've learned or what they're learning, and they want to invite you on the journey. Now, obviously, we've done that over the last number of years. We've gone through a number of books of the Bible, Old Testament and New, and then every once in a while, we do a series on a particular subject. This month, how to share your faith, why you should share your faith. What we just talked about this morning and what we sang about, people without Jesus are lost. Not just need to find a way. They are literally lost without Christ. And one of the responsibilities you and I have is to celebrate when they come to faith in Christ and do everything we can to see them come to faith in Christ. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking to you about the significance of sharing your faith. What does that mean? What does it look like? And then what we ask you to do is send us some questions, things you would like to know. We always say, this is what we think you need to know What we have done this week is, what do you want to know? We'll try to answer some of your questions. Now, obviously, we got a lot. They fit in different categories, and so we tried to categorize them. And some, I think, were questions you're just curious about, and somebody said, ask the question. And so you sent that one in. It may or may not apply specifically to this. What was intriguing when we got some of these questions is we all three came up with an idea for a series coming up in the summer, hard questions people ask. And we're literally going to do that this summer and try to address some of the ones that we can't come up with. There are obviously some questions that can't be answered. And that's okay. I think some of the things that keep us from sharing our faith is, what if they ask us a question we can't answer? Can I just help you now? They will. And that's okay. You can't, I can't answer. As brilliant as these two guys are. I've got to believe there's at least one question they can't answer. So it's okay to say, I don't know. I'll find out. But I do know this. Jesus can change your life. I do know that. I may not know the answer to that question, but I do know this. And you have the opportunity to share your faith and what you've learned about Christ in them. There are a lot of great resources out there, too. One of the ones that I use on a regular basis is called Breakpoint Daily. Chuck Colson, who's been around for a number of years, passed away a number of years ago, passed that ministry on to uh, John Stone Street and Eric Metaxas. Every single day, I get an email, five minutes takes me to read it, of all things this week, they actually came on Thursday, tactics for discussing your Christian convictions with others. There are really some great insights out there. Now, not everything on the internet is true. I know that. But there are some great resources out there that you need to utilize. Things like when God doesn't make sense. A lot of the questions were, why, if God is God, is there so much evil? Chuck, uh, Jim Dobson did a great book, When God Doesn't Make Sense, and I'll refer to that in a little bit. Philip Yancey, why do bad things happen to good people? There are some... T- Great resources out there that we encourage you to read and utilize. What we sometimes forget is that God owes us nothing, but he offers us everything. 
God owes us nothing, but he offers us everything. Forgiveness, grace, relationships, peace, eternal life, everything. One of my favorite passages of scripture is from John 6. From time to time, his disciples were listening to him, and a number of them came, and then it came to a point where he was saying, you need to understand, this is what it costs to be a follower of me. This is what it costs to be my disciple. From that time on, in verse 66, many of the disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. He looked at the 12 and said, are you going to leave too? Simon, who always has something to say and sometimes the wrong thing, said one of the most amazing statements in Scripture when he said, Lord, where else will we go? Because you and you alone have the answers to life. If you're going to share your faith, you have to believe that. If you do not believe that, you will always be uncomfortable sharing your faith. Because you have to believe, as he asked them, and as Peter stated, you have the answers to life. And because he alone has the answers to life, I want to share what I've learned about Jesus. Because it really has changed my life. So how do you start? How do you start the conversation? I mean, in a grocery line, hey, I know you're buying your groceries, but can I talk to you for a few minutes about Jesus? What if I'm uncomfortable sharing my faith? What if I just nerve up and don't know what to say? So these two guys are going to help me answer some of those questions. And basically, this is what I want to start with. Keith, Joe, how do you start that conversation? How do you bring it up? When you have pushback, how do you deal with that? Coz, you start. I think one of the first things that I always try to do is, is every morning I just pray for God to give me opportunities. Because whenever I try out and go, go try to share my faith, it fails pretty miserably. And maybe you've been there, you know what I mean, where I've tried to convert someone to God. But when I let God convert someone through me, it goes way better. So that's something I am always praying and looking for opportunities um, to share my faith. A second thing that is really important that you note is that there is no magic formula for you to say the right words and convert everyone. That will never happen, all right? Like, that's, don't put that, like, pressure on yourself. If I would just say this or that, like, no, no. I've said some really stupid things, and a person has said, I want to accept Jesus in my life. And I've said some really, really, I think, profound, intelligent things, and the person said, you know, just walked away. So it's not on our efforts. It's not by saying the right things. It's about God using us. And it's just being in the right opportunity and be, being open to be used by God. That's what I think is the absolute first thing that you need to be open to. So, and I'll pass it over to Joey. Yeah, um, I think that's really good to, to see um, to see how you've done that. Uh, one of the things I thought about whenever I saw this question, how do you start the conversation? I think, it, so for me, I was thinking about, it comes down to kind of a mindset. We use this word, share your faith. And so I have two boys at home, so we talk about sharing quite a bit. Um, and as they've grown up, we, yeah, so. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to make kids share because I got a better chance of telling you how to share your faith. No, but like <laughs> the idea is, like usually what happens is, I've seen two things play out. Like they'll be playing with a toy. Let's say it's a truck. And, you know, they can share it in terms of passing it off to the brother, which is the win in our house. But I've also seen this other thing happen where they get mad and they throw it at the brother. <laughs> and it smacks them and it causes pain. The end result of both is the other brother has the toy, but the first way is a much more winsome and better way. So when I think of sharing your faith, I think, you know, whenever you're coming into that conversation, you're trying to think about... What am I, sh like, I'm sharing this. I'm not firing at, at them. I'm sharing what I'm going to talk about. One of the things that I've done to help practice 
starting the conversation is, um, you know, over the past, I would say probably over the past five years, I've tried to push myself out of my sort of introverted nature comfort zone. I'll just start trying to have conversations with people. Like we were at Panera Bed a week ago, and I just struck up a conversation for a few minutes with the lady who was getting our, our order taken um, at the beach, out in the ocean, talking to people with, with kids. Like, I've practiced just having conversations with people in general to be able to get better at when that conversation can turn toward spiritual things. It doesn't always turn toward spiritual things for me, but that's, that's been helpful to me uh, to, to practice that. Um, and I think one of the things you heard from us in the last couple of weeks and when the three of us were talking about this the other day, a lot of it has to do with relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, cold calling, just knocking on somebody's door and saying, I want to talk to you about Jesus certainly has worked in the past and can, but what we have found works best is relationships. I go to the same stores all the time. Yeah. I don't do online banking. I go to the bank. I go to the same stores, the same drug store, uh, almost always to some of the same people and build those relationships so that after time, especially when they're cashing my check and see Dennis Chrysler and then see it comes from Community Alliance, that certainly has opened up some doors. What, you get paid to do this? I know you're surprised. I'm surprised. But it opens up doors all the way through our ministry life. We have found that if you build relationships with someone and they begin to trust you and they begin to see you're different, they want to ask some questions. And you don't have to have all the answers, but it really does open up some doors. I've also been in that grocery line where somebody in front of me is sharing something with somebody else. People all kinds of walks of life. I mean, I know it's in barbershops and beauty shops where they just tell you everything. But I've even heard it in the grocery line where somebody is saying, hey, I'm doing this because I've got, and they'll tell a problem. And I may be standing there behind them, and I know you all think I'm impatient when I'm standing in a line. Somebody said, well, you ought to pray for those people. I do. I pray they get out of the way. No. (laughs) And so when I'm in that line, I'm listening to that conversation, and then I literally say to them, hey, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? I never want to pray for them right there. I don't want to make it awkward. But I say, hey, I heard what you were sharing with them. I just want you to know I'll be praying for you. And you cannot believe the amount of times way more people appreciate that than turn it off. Yeah, and, and Dunn's talking about a big thing here. I'm going to interject. Sorry, no, you're the go, boss. Go. So, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Is if you can find a person in their point of need, and then you interject, all of a sudden you have the right to speak into their lives. If you're just like, hey, can I pray for you about this? Can I talk to you about this? When you see a need that needs met, when you meet that need, then all of a sudden people want to respond and listen to what you have to say because most people would never do that. When you say, hey, I'm going to pray for you or, hey, you know, I'm going to do this or something like that, or you, you see a need and you meet that need, it opens a door then that people go, there's something different about this person. I want to listen to why. Because most people will walk by and not care, but when you show that you genuinely love and care, and you know, they will know you're Christians by our love, when we actually show that love, people then will respond so much better. I pray before a meal and when I'm out in public, and I was at a restaurant one table over the, by the mall, and another fellow and I prayed. I had two people walk over to us and said, I don't see men pray that often in public. Can I ask what you do? And then one lady said, hey, when I told her I was a pastor, she said, boy, if you could pray for me, I'd appreciate that. And then she, so just being aware of the people around you and some of the circumstances opens up doors that will surprise you. Uh, in, in remarkable ways. One of the other questions that were asked, why, this is a classic one because they did fit in a lot of different categories. 
why are there so many different churches? And of course, all of them say they're right. So when you identify yourself with a church or to a church, they'll say, okay, well, there are a lot of churches. Why are there so many? Why is yours the way? We just sang this morning, Jesus is the way. But some of them, they'll say, well, it must be your church. Why is there so many different churches? How do you answer that question when you get asked? I mean, I think there's, there's certainly reasons. I, one of the things that cracks me up is that this isn't like a new thing. I was looking uh, back in Mark chapter 9. This happened even before Jesus went mm-hmm. to the cross and died for our sins. Jesus and his disciples are going along, and they see these other guys that they didn't know that weren't part of their group casting out demons in Jesus' name. And so these people are getting free from bondage. But his disciples, instead of celebrating that, got offended because, hey, they're not part of our group. So, Jesus, you need to go tell them to stop doing it. And so, you know, I, I think there's, there's a way that we got to look at it and say, okay, if other churches are accomplishing ministry and they're reaching people and, and people are getting free from the bondage in their life, we, we have to celebrate that rather than, than criticize it, I, I think, when we look at other churches in that way. Um, and then also, I just think about in, in, even in Acts, whenever you look at the churches starting to spread, and you know, there was this point in Acts where Paul and Barnabas were like, they were best friends, and they were doing ministry together, and, and it was great, and then they got into an argument. The Bible doesn't tell us who was right, who was wrong, it just says that they went a different way, and when you look at that, you can kind of say, okay, like God kind of multiplied their ministry by dividing them. Barnabas went one direction, and Paul went another direction, and they took the gospel in the, both of the directions that they went. So I think that different churches... Um, when, when they're healthy and they're following scripture, at least one of the things I would say to somebody that asked that question is, you know, different churches are called to reach different groups of people. Not one church can do it all, all by themselves. So when you look in our community and even around our, our, our region and around our world, like there's different churches who are really good at reaching different groups of people. And not every church is great at reaching all of them. So that's one of the reasons I think it's yeah. actually a healthy thing when there are more than one church in an area. Yeah, just to reiterate what, what Joey just said, I think it's just so true, is, is that you know, different churches are going to emphasize different things. And there may be with our past um, and things that have happened in our lives, that they, those certain things need to be emphasized to certain people. You know what I mean? That it just relates when this church is so you know, focused on evangelism or reaching the people or focused on discipleship. You know, th- if that's what it is, is that, that may be your passion or what has happened, something in your past, or you know, that really you just relate to that so much better. You know what I mean? That this church just resonates with you. And again, as Joe said, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that there's different churches. And again, also, there's different churches because they interpret different passages of Scripture differently, you know, that they may believe this about this passage, or we may believe that about that passage, but the most important thing is to keep the most important things the most important things, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? You're going to keep the most important things always at the forefront. Uh, yeah, let me bridge off of that. That's what one of the things I've always said before. Major on the majors, don't major on the minors. Mm-hmm. Don't look for what divides us. Look for what unites us. There's a, a circle thing on the screen. I'm not sure if it's going to come up or if they have that. This is what normally happens. There are biblical absolutes, black and white biblical absolute. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is the way to heaven. Only come to heaven through faith in him. Scripture is really clear all the way through the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the book of Galatians is where Paul is saying, What happened? You, you started going down the right path. You absolutely were convinced that Jesus was the answer. And now, all of a sudden, you're going back to the law. The New Testament is very clear on some absolutes. Mm-hmm. And then there, as Coe said, some of the interpretations of some of those sections of Scripture. And then some subjective or personal opinions or feelings or cultural norms. 
as to what some believe is true. Some churches really, really emphasize the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit through the sign gifts or the symbolic gifts or speaking in tongues, and others reject that. Scripture is clear on all of those things. But we get so hung up on trying to make some of the personal feelings or preferences or hymns or choruses that church has been arguing about for 30, 40 years about music. We try to make those absolutes, and they're not. So instead of majoring on the, the minors or the things that separate us, look for the things that make us united or the things that we can agree on without feeling like you have to argue every single point they have yeah. about different churches. Some churches emphasize on missions, which is what we do, yeah. and taking the gospel to the end of the earth. Some churches concentrate heavily on the ministries in their community. And we'll hear, well, why don't we do more community ministries? And we are, and we need to do some more. But instead of looking at what we don't do, look at what we are doing, and overall, look at what the church is doing. The church of Jesus Christ, those who are following him. Here's one of the hardest ones that came in. The church is full of hypocrites. Why would I want to be a Christian? <laughs> Any of you ever hear that one? All right. Keith, how do you answer that one? Thanks, boss. <laughs> now, again, we've, we've all been asked this question, and I always say, you know what? You know, it's full of hypocrites, and we're welcoming more in as we speak. You know what I mean? Because we're all hypocrites. You know what I mean? Like, we'd love to have you and join us. You know what I mean? Because that's just the truth. We're all hypocrites, so therefore, we'd love to have another one. You know, we're not perfect. Um, we never claim to be perfect. And there's only one perfect person in the church, and they crucified him. So, you know what? I'm going to let you down, and you're going to think I'm a hypocrite at some point, and I will apologize for that. Maybe we can talk it out. But there are no perfect people in this world. Yeah, and I think that's what sometimes people think is that everybody who comes to CAC is perfect. When I see them out there doing something else, well, I know they go to your church, and they'll tell me that. <laughs> I mean, they'll tell me, I know they go to your church, and I saw them here. It's like dad. Dad. Exactly. You know, get, get, yeah. uh, we're not perfect. We do our best. My favorite verse is in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul's taking a bold stand. And he's saying, look, I'll do my absolute best to represent Jesus everywhere I go. So you follow me, I'll, I'll live that out, which is a bold statement to make. But you see what he's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I'm not doing this on my own or by my own power. I am doing my best to imitate Jesus everywhere I go, knowing that there will come times when I will let you down or maybe not do it in a way you think I should. Anything you want to add to the hypocrites? <laughs> I, I did want to say, like, if, you, if you're living in your life, though, with open sin, mm -hmm. you know, you, it's going to always undermine your ability to Absolutely. share your faith. Absolutely. And so, you know, the, the hypocrite question, you know, I would say to the person, define hypocrite, because if you, if you mean by hypocrite someone who shows up here on Sunday, then publicly is living a life completely contrary to what God has called them to, yeah, like, if that's you, you need to repent. And then share about how God has forgiven your sin with your friends. But it's always going to undermine your ability to share your faith. Because you really don't have anything to share because it hasn't really made a difference in your life. So repentance is what is needed. Um, but if by hypocrite what you mean is, hey, somebody who is following Jesus but struggles at times in various... That's exactly what Keith is saying. Like, we are all in that boat. And one of the things I thought of is, I mean, if you go to the hospital, there's a bunch of doctors and nurses there who probably don't exercise as much as they should and don't eat how they should, but it doesn't stop us from going there to get help. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we are here as believers. Like, we're all on this journey together. In fact, that's why we're here, 
to follow Christ because we know we don't, we are not capable of doing it on our own. We're here to grow, to live through Him outwardly in our community as we share our faith. Yeah, and remember the premise of this whole se- series comes from Matthew when it says, "You're you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. If you don't live it, who will? If you don't show them Jesus, who will? Yeah. If we don't show them Jesus, no one else will." So the responsibility is heavy and the weight is heavy. But it is an opportunity for us to show the world what Jesus looks like, even though we know we're not perfect. One other que- another question, is walking my faith enough? I'm not a shout-from-the-rooftop kind of follower, but I try to live my faith. Is just living it enough, or do I need to also share? Well, again, I think that you know, St. Francis of Assisi always said, you know, you know, witness at all times, and if necessary, use words. And that's something that has always, you know, hit me. You know what I mean? Is that, you know, you have to be living your life in a way that people look at you and go, man, there is something about that person that is just different, that I am drawn to. Again, meeting people's needs, loving, caring. You know, if you just have joy in your life, there's something about that. You're like, that person just, you know, always has a smile on their face. There's joy. And it's not manufactured. It's not phony. It's real. But when you have the real joy of Christ living in you, that's attractive because you're like, that person it just exemplifies something that I want in my life. Because when you have no joy, when, you're, uh, you know, when you have no peace, when you see that, you're like, I want what that person has. So I think that you know, witnessing you know, through your actions is always the most important thing. But also, obviously, sharing your faith is also really important as well. I, that's, that's really true. I mean, you've got to live it first. And I think what you said, Keith, right at the very, very first question, when you start praying and asking God for opportunities, yeah. you're going to notice things you didn't notice before. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's just going to happen. But I do think it does need to take that next step from walking your faith in front of people to looking for those opportunities to say something, to, to ask a question. Just as Den was mentioning, if somebody has a problem, offering to pray for them. Um, you know, even it could be just a simple way of trying to ask a question that may lead to a spiritual conversation. Like, what did you do this weekend? Well, we did this and this. Well, how about you? You could say, yeah, I did this. And we also went to church on Sunday. And, you know, I just feel like God was showing me, like, it doesn't have to be initially, do you want to pray to receive Jesus with me right <laughs> yeah. now? It, it can just start to lead in, in that direction. But you, you, you've got to use some words to step out of that, that comfort zone of just living in front of people to beginning to, to share what, what you have. Um, you said something the other day in the office when we were talking about this. I just want to bring this up because I thought this was gold. Um, you, you, you said basically along the lines of like a good question is so much more powerful than a good statement. So Sorry. I, could, could you talk about like I think that that's, that's really good. Well, again, that's where I was trying to get to. So this is where at any time a conversation turns spiritual. What I want to do is I want to get them to this question, which is what do you believe about the Bible? Like, that, that is the number one question I want to get someone to, all right? Because if the person says, I believe the Bible, man, that makes my life a hundred times easier. Guess what? I can use Bible verses. I can, you know, share scripture. I can pull out my cell phone and, and you know, and Google verses about grace or whatever they want to talk about, and they won't care. You know what I mean? I, I can use all that stuff, and that makes my life a hundred times easier. And usually the older the person, sorry, like in, in their age, you know, the more reverence they have for the Bible and the more likely you can use the Bible. 
However, the younger the person, the less likely they are to want to say, yeah, I believe the Bible, or I may believe parts of the Bible. And so whenever I ask them, you know, what do you, what do you believe about the Bible? How they respond to that is going to dictate the rest of the conversation for me when I'm sharing my faith. If they say, I really don't believe the, in the Bible, I'll ask them this question. Well, why is that? And I just want to hear what they have to say. I, I want to ask that leading question. Why, why don't you believe about the Bible? What don't you believe? I want to hear that. And then I would ask them this question. Where do you get your morality? Where do you get your sense of right and wrong? And I just want to hear what the person has to say then. Because I want to hear where they get their morals. I want to hear whatever they believe. And they may say, it's the government. I get it from my friends. Or I know it from myself. And whenever they answer any of those questions, I like to say, do you think any of those entities have ever been wrong before? And I like to hear them just continue to talk about those things. And then I want to ask them this question too is, is, What's really the purpose of your life? What, what is really the purpose of your life? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get deeper into this person and really get them to, you know, talk about really in their heart and their soul who they really, really are. And that, that's going to dictate me to be able to say, you know what, it's going to help guide my answers then with what I believe about God and where this person may be hurting or may need to hear about God and, and, you know, and be able to answer their questions. But if I can't use the Bible, then I have to use common sense reasoning and ask questions like that and ask pertinent questions that are pointed of who they really are so it really gets them where they are and where they're struggling and where they are spiritually. Does that make sense? Yeah. One of the things we talked about the other day is you'll have those moments in life where you realize this is the only time I'm ever going to have to share with this mm-hmm. one person. So there's conversations on the plane. Yeah. I've had a number of those. A lot of people don't want to talk. Some of the times they do. I've had a number of those conversations where I know this is the only time I'm going to share this. So a girl beside me made a mention of something. And I said, I, can, I sense there's some pain in that. And then all of a sudden, bam, open up. She had no idea I was a pastor. But all of a sudden, she starts to open up. And then I share because I know I am probably never going to see this person again. Now, we all know that life and death is so fragile and so unpredictable, so I get that. But many times when you do know that you're going to see these people on a regular basis, it gives you the opportunity to start building bridges because you know you can take the next step and the next step as they respond to some of those questions, as they respond to some of those issues about their soul. You know you'll see them again to take the next step without feeling like you've got to unload the whole wagon in front of them at that particular moment. But when you have that one, I will never see this person again, I just simply go for it. Because I don't want to miss that opportunity. Because two things, I believe without Jesus people are lost. And secondly, I believe Jesus is the answer to everything. Yeah, and, and that's what he's talking about. This is like when you have that one opportunity, I call it like, you know, like poker. You're going all in. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is it. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to push my chips in and I'm, I'm really going to push this person because I'm probably not going to see this person again. However, you know, as Dan was talking about relational evangelism, whenever you're building relationships with people where, you're, where you shop or where you work and stuff like that, I want to continue. Again, I may ask them, you know, slowly over time, what do you believe about the Bible? You know, we're, we're, you know, you know I, hey, can I pray for you about your mom? If, if I hear about a need, if I start meeting their needs, and then I want, to sl- I want to bridge that a little bit slower, but it's still at some point I need to go all in and say, you know, where are you really spiritually? I'm asking you this because I love you and I care about you. But if the person knows that you genuinely love them and care about them, they're not usually going to be offended by that. They know that you're like, you have their best interest. And once you've built that relationship, they know that you care. And that's such an important thing. Two, two quick ones at the end. I know we're running out of time. Some of you are limited by legality. Yeah. 
All right, would you have a, a quick answer to that? If, if be, my workplace, I am not allowed to take my Bible. I am not allowed to pray over lunch. I am not allowed to share my faith. I, I would never divulge information that I know about people who do do that in settings because I don't want to put them in a tough spot. But you have any thoughts on that one? Let Joe again. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> We're not lawyers. <laughs> And obviously, at our, our workplace, we encourage sharing your faith. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so there is some legal protection uh, for sharing your faith at work. Uh, in 1964, there was something called Title VII that was passed that, that gives, in some cases, some permission. Like, so, for instance, if you are on break times, uh, you are permitted to have religious conversations. Your employer, though, is not allowed. To, like, they are allowed to come. If you're working on the line in the mill and you're standing there talking and sharing your faith yeah. but not doing your job, like, they're allowed to come in and say, well, you got to do your job now. Also, um, I learned that if somebody that you're sharing your faith with at, at work in a workplace says to you, hey, I don't, I'm not comfortable having this conversation, please stop sharing, you know, you got to be respectful. And not just for the legal reasons. If somebody says that to you, it's not going to advance the cause of the faith to start shoving it down their throat either. Yeah. So that just kind of goes back to that whole relationship principle. Mm -hmm. That kind of applies outside the workplace as well. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about some of those protections, there's some really good uh, articles written uh, on the internet. If you Google Title uh, 7, 1964, um, David Gibbs wrote a really good article, and I think Jay Sekulow wrote a really good article you might find uh, on through that. Or if you send an email to the church office and want to know more, I can, we can make sure we get that to you. Pennsylvania Family Institute also addresses that issue, especially in public schools. Because you have way more freedom in public schools than I think we think we're told we have. Yeah. And you really need to do your research on that because there is a lot more freedom. Matter of fact, they're sending letters. It was this week in our school, of all things, in uh, Butler Eagle about the, the local schools that are getting letters saying, our kids have freedom. And we can't restrict that First Amendment freedom. We can't restrict them in some respects. And you need to have the answer to that. This is the final one, the issue of evil. We live in a world that is so filled with evil. How do you respond to that? What do you say in a world that's constantly filled with evil? Why would I want, why would a God who loves us allow this to happen? Have a quick answer. <laughs> yeah, 30 seconds. We'll solve 30, this. 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Solve the most difficult question <laughs> that you can be asked. That's coming uh, up in the series. Yeah, we're going to talk about this more uh, this summer. A, a couple real quick bullet points. One is the, when you read all of Scripture, nowhere does the Bible ever promise, Jesus ever promise, any writer of scripture ever promise that we're going to go through a life uh, without suffering and pain. In fact, Jesus says it himself, uh, John 16, he said, uh, in this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's a powerful passage because what he's saying is, in this world where we live now, there is trouble. But because of his, his coming to the world and his act on the cross, he's taking the evil and he's beginning the redemption process to take the world back. Um, I also would just say, that as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, like we have a framework to explain evil in the world. You can't deny it. Like this, yeah. the evil exists. But you know, if you take God out of the equation, then what do you do with evil? How, how do you explain it? And then how do you explain the, what's good? Yeah. Um, it kind of, at the end of the day, it sort of just comes down to my interpretation, my feeling, your feeling. Uh, what's good and, and what's wrong. So, but, but when we look at, at the story uh, of God's work in creation, uh, a good God creating a good world, evil came in through evil choices. It tainted the world, broke the system, caused break of relationship with God. And then God, since then, has been working to restore that relationship through Jesus Christ and promises one day 
to make it good again. And then when people ask the question, well, if God's good, why doesn't he just do it now? The reason is because Peter will tell us God is slow to anger, not wanting any to perish. If he came now and said everything right, that means that there are some in our lives that will not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and they will perish, which comes back full circle to the, the imperative that we have to be sharing our faith. We can't explain why God hasn't come and put that right yet, but we have the order to Hey, until he does it, we need to be taking this gospel, this good news, and sharing with every person we possibly can. USA Today had an article a couple of weeks ago, Aaron Rodgers, who's a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, seemingly walking away from his faith growing up. And he said, I can't even imagine how a good God would send anyone to hell. And I just so desperately wanted to speak into that, saying he doesn't. We choose that by rejecting him. We choose that by rejecting him. God's desire all the way through. My whole desire is that no one perish, Jesus said, but all come to faith in Christ. God sends no one to hell. We choose that by rejecting Jesus. But sometimes when you only see that side of the argument and no one gives the other side, then we miss the point, and that's what people hold on to. The other thing that it reminds me of, in so many situations, people's pain gives God's children the opportunity to respond. George Mueller in Taking in Orphans, Mother Teresa, churches in Chico, California, helping those in paradise whose entire community was wiped out in a fire. And when you see the stories, and we know them because of what went on in that context with so many of the churches that we're familiar with in Paradise, California, and the churches in Chico responded in remarkable ways to the pain and suffering of other people. So it's not an excuse, it's not a I wish it would all go away, but it does give opportunities for the people of God who have the answers to respond when people are going through such deep waters. And in that moment, you'll have the most unreal opportunities to share what you have found in Jesus when you maybe have walked, because that's what Jesus through Paul said, when you have learned to be comforted by me, when you have learned from me that I walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, now you have the opportunity when they're going through it to pass it on to others. And when they find that they're desperately looking for hope and answers, and you have found what you have found in Christ, it gives you that incredible bridge that we're talking about to share what you found in Jesus, because now they're hurting. People come to Christ on one of two levels. They learn enough they want to, they hurt enough they have to, because he's the answer, and they know it. And you and I have the answer in Christ. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share the word to share what we have found, to share with other people what we have found in Christ and that you really are the answers to life. Where else would we go? You have the answers to life. And we get the opportunity day by day, week by week, to share that. Give us the courage, give us the freedom, give us the wisdom to do that. We thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to address some of these issues. Continue to be with us as we move through that process. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope this has helped. A little bit. Thank you for your attention this morning. Got to come back next Sunday morning. Something very unique and different that you will only heard next Sunday. We need to have you back. God bless you. See you next Sunday.